there's all this pressure, you know. And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just sometimes it's like there's this achy. I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way. All right. It's not about the nail. (laughs) And all the men said amen. All right. All the ladies are like, oh, come on, that's not very nice. Hey, Modern Family, part two. And uh, today I'm going to speak at, to the men primarily, but this is for the whole church. I want the women to listen up. If you're single today, uh, the kind of man that will make your life a blessed life is the kind of man that the Bible talks about. So, And uh, the women that are here today, and maybe your husband doesn't know Christ, you pray for him. You pray for him to have an encounter with God because you telling him he needs to listen to this message. <laughs> You know what that's going to do, right? So I, I want to challenge, though. If you're a believer today, if you're a lady here today and your husband isn't here and, and he is a Christian, I would encourage you just to load the message. You know, you can go to the, our website. You can get it on iTunes or you can watch it on Vimeo. But I believe today God has a word for us. I believe that God has a word for the men of this church. And, and the word today is courage. Everyone say courage. You know, I... Uh, I know that in our hearts, every heart of every man here, there's a desire for a great adventure. There was a book written several years ago entitled The Search for Significance. And in the heart of every man, there's a desire for significance. There's a a searching. The challenge is sometimes we're searching in the wrong places and we're looking to the wrong things to bring significance and meaning to our life. When you're a little boy, when I was a little boy, there was an adventure in me. Uh, we have a little preschool here, and I watch the little boys, and man, they're just squirrely, and they, the teachers think there's something wrong with them, and I'm like, there's nothing wrong. They're just a little boy, you know. The girls are playing with their dolls, and I know not, you know, these are generalizations, but, you know, there's a lot of truth. The reason that things are generalization is because they're generally true, you know, and the boys, you know, everything on the playground for a boy is a gun, you know that? We have all these moms, and they're taking guns away, and there's no guns, and they're not allowed to have guns, and... You get your little child here in the playground, he's never seen a gun before, but all of a sudden he picks up a stick and he makes it a gun. I mean, I don't know how it happens, but it just happens that way. And there's an adventure in every boy. And sometimes as men grow older, that adventure seems to subside. It almost seems to die at times. We get focused on our careers. We get focused on doing other things. But that sense of great adventure tends to die out. And I have learned over the years that, 
that it happened in me. It, and it's happened in most men that I know that there's just kind of this hit this place in life where we're just going through the motions. But something happened two years ago in my life that kind of awoken this adventure in me. Now, I like to do stuff. I, my idea of camping is the Marriott or the Four Seasons. But, but a couple of years ago, I, my son really wanted to go camping. And I got a friend of mine that's a great outdoorsman. He lives in Arizona, and he is like, he's like the master hunter, fisherman, writer. Yeah, he's just, he's the man's man. He actually spoke here. He's spoken at the church a couple of times. He, he's from uh, Prescott, Arizona. But, but he said, hey, why don't you come on a trip with me? So I'm going to take some guys, and we're going to go to Zion Park, Utah. Have you ever heard of Zion Park, Utah before? If you've never heard of Zion Park, Utah, I just this is a kind of a short little. I mean, this is I'm going to give you just a few pictures here that show you this adventure that we went on in Zion Park. This is my son Keenan. He's my youngest son, and uh, this is kind of this is from one of the peaks that you climb up and gives you kind of an idea of the terrain around. I want you to see the next picture here. Uh, for four days, we hiked, we backpacked, we climbed, and we did a thing called rappelling. And uh, these are some guys we're getting ready to hike up to a place where we're, go- we're going to go repelling. And I want to just talk to you about repelling just for a moment. I know the word's not spelled. Well, I think it's okay on that one. But this is my son, Keenan, and he's getting ready. This is after three days of repelling. And the first day we did like five repels. The second day we did like seven repels. And the third day we did nine repels. And this is the last repel that we're getting ready to do. Now, you know, you just think, you know, you see how far back the guys are standing that are with Keenan right there. See how Keenan's kind of on the ledge, and you kind of see the two guys are kind of standing back. You know why they're standing back? Because Keenan's getting ready to go down at this, this jump right here. I want you to see this. This is, a, this is a jump. It's probably 90 to 100 feet, and you go down inside what they call the narrows. It's a really narrow tunnel, and this whole, this whole mountain range is, is world known for people coming all over the world to do repelling. And so here's Keenan. He's going down, and then I come right behind him. This is the next, next picture of me rappelling, and, and I made it. I survived. <laughs> uh, and then here's the picture. When I get to the bottom, you can kind of get more of an expansive view of what this rappel looked like that we just came down. And here's Keenan. He's actually looking back up the rappel to say, wow, that was pretty cool. And I, I don't even know how to explain the emotion that you feel when you get down at the bottom of something like this. Here's a picture of some of the guys that were with us. And then I'm going to put that one up real quick. There was, guys that, there was about five of the guys that went with us on that particular jump. And then after we did the jumps the next day, Lee and his son, uh, Caden, and my son, Cannon, we went to this place called Lake Powell. And Lake Powell is the largest man-made lake in the United States. And we rented two wave runners, and we rode wave runners all day long. And out in the middle of this lake, there's this giant boulder. I mean, here, I don't know what you – you might call it a mountain here. They would just call that a boulder. <laughs> If you've never been to the West Coast, and I don't mean Tampa, I mean if you've ever if you've ever been to if you've ever been to Western United States, the mountains are just spectacular. It's just absolutely breathtaking and amazing. And uh, can you see that picture there? You can barely see it, but that's Keenan standing on top, and his buddy is already down in the water, Caden. Now I got 51, I got 50 years of life when I was on this trip, and I'm, and 50 years of life just told me that would not be a safe thing for a guy my age to do. All right, you know. But uh, Caden, man, he'd done this rock before. He just bolted right up there. He jumped off. And, and when Keenan came up behind him, I, I remember I was watching Keenan. He's like, you know, he's got a head and a heart, right? The head says, uh, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, but I'm going to be okay. Your heart is like, no way. This is, this is unbelievable. But, but he just jumped off. And, uh, 
And we got video of it and pictures. And, and it was a great, great experience. You know, uh, there is uh, this reality for all of us. We have a, the head issue and we have the heart issue. You know, the head, when we were going through this, this repelling, there had been a lot of people, there had been a lot of people that had gone before us. And you know you're probably going to be safe. You've got guys there to help you, you know. But your heart keeps thinking you might be one of the six suckers. or the, You might be the seventh guy that's died doing this in the last nine years. I mean, there have been six people that had died in the last nine years doing what we had just done there. I mean, so it's not exactly a, an extreme. It's not a Disney-fied ride. I kept telling Keenan, Keenan, this is not a Disney ride. <laughs> this is not Disney World. This is real life. And, and what I, I came to this conclusion that no matter what we have in our heart, no matter if there's fear there, we just need one thing. We need courage. We need courage. It doesn't matter how you feel in the moment. If you're going to live for God and fulfill his purposes in your life, you've got to have courage. It takes courage. It takes courage to walk the Christian life. It takes courage to be a man of God. Remember that movie, Wizard of Oz? Anybody ever watched the movie? I know it's an old movie, but most of you have probably seen the movie. But there's this one character. You know who he is? The lion. And what is he? He's a coward, right? And the coward of the lion, he spends his whole life, and what is he searching for? He's searching for what? I want you to hear what the cowardly lion says. He says, courage. What makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast to wave? Courage. What makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? What makes the Sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? What makes the hotness not so hot? What puts the ape in apricot? What do they have got that I ain't got? Courage. Courage. And the beautiful thing at the end of the movie, you know, they, they finally find what they're looking for at the end of the yellow brick road. And guess what he discovers? You know what he discovers? He had courage the whole time. He just didn't know it. He just didn't know it. He didn't really know who he was. And I, I, I'm afraid to say that many men in this room, I mean, you've got a great sense of destiny in you, and you're searching, and you want to do something significant with your life, but you don't really know what it is. You don't really know if it's in you. And I want you to know today, it is in you. It's in you today. The Bible says Christ the hope of glory lives in you. Christ, the victor, the conqueror, the one who is full of courage, our Savior and our King, He lives inside of us. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of fear. Courage is moving ahead in spite of fear. If you're not afraid, you don't need courage. But courage comes when you're scared to death, but you also believe it's what God wants you to do. It takes courage to be a man of God in our generation. David is a character that, that I, when I look to in the Bible, I, I just, I'm, I'm amazed at his life. He was a man of great courage, even from a very young age. There's two scriptures in the New Testament that talk about this man's courage. The first one is found in Acts chapter 13. The Bible says that God raised up for them David as king. God raised up this king to replace Solomon, who lacked courage. Solomon lacked courage to fulfill the will of God in his life. So God raised up this young man, David, to whom he also gave a testimony and said, I have found David, 
the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do all my will. David will do all my will. And then this verse in Acts chapter 13, it says, Now David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, died and was buried with his ancestors. David served God's purposes in his generation. When you look at the life of David, so many people want to look at his failure and his faults. You know, the fact is he did have them. He had them because he was a man. He wasn't a sinless man. There was only one sinless man. His name was Jesus. David was a sinner, and he needed the grace and the forgiveness of God. When you look at the Old Testament, the story of David and Bathsheba seems to me the most, most prominent story that's told about his life. But when you get to the New Testament, there's not one recounting of the sin of David. What there is is David was a man after God's own heart who was willing to do all of his will. I want to speak to you man today. I want to speak to the men today. Does your past, listen, your past, okay, you got a past. We've all got a story. But here's the deal about our stories. God gives us a story. He allows us to walk through the stuff, and the stuff that makes stories in our life. So ultimately, we can still tell His story of His grace, of His glory, of His goodness, and His forgiveness in our life. Someone said amen. Yeah, He had a story. But the Bible says David was willing to do all his will in his generation. Oh, nothing about his past. All about the way he lived his future. All the way he lived to the end. He was a man after the heart of God. I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk to you about walking out God's purposes in our life and our, in our generation. The courage that it takes. Serving God's purposes in our generation takes courage. You know, they have a phrase that if you're on the Internet, if you do Instagram or Facebook or any of those or, or, or Twitter, you know, there's a phrase out there, hashtag the struggle, right? Young people say hashtag the struggle. It's real. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. There's a battle. There's a battle that takes place in our hearts. But that battle that takes place in our heart does not necessarily determine our destiny unless we choose the wrong path, unless we choose the wrong path. I love David. I love David's passion and his heart because David was a man who knew how to walk with God. I want you to hear this today. The man and his walk with God is the thing that will determine his destiny. David said this in the Psalms, For you have rescued me from death. You kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. I can walk in your presence. You know that there's these cheap substitutes in our world today. It's been with men for a long time. Cheap substitutes to try to try to meet this need that we have in our lives for the presence of God. David said, Your presence, your presence, oh God, it gives me life. God's presence gives you life. It gives you strength. Abraham was a man who did not have a Bible. Abraham was a man who lived four thousand years ago. Abraham didn't have a father who was a follower of God. He didn't have a, a mother who was a follower of God. Abraham didn't have any kind of written scripture. But he had this one thing. He had God come to him and give him a word and said, Abraham, follow me. Abraham, follow me. And in Genesis chapter 17, there's a, there's a very powerful passage, a very powerful illustration of a man walking with God. When Abraham was 99 years old, and he had been promised by God that he was going to have a son through Sarah. 
He had waited and waited and waited, and now over 20-some years had taken place. For about 13 years, he, he'd basically just kind of gone on, and he was living kind of his old way of life, and God comes back to him and says, Abram, walk before me blameless. Abram, walk before me blameless. Be, have a heart after me, Abram, because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to multiply you and your descendants. See, God's destiny for Abraham was that he was a kingdom multiplier. Every man in this room, you've been called by God to be kingdom multipliers. You have a purpose, and your purpose is to worship and serve the one who created you and made you in his image. You have a purpose to win souls. You have a purpose to serve your family. You have a purpose in God to finish strong all the way to the end. And someone said, Amen. Abraham walked with God. David walked with God. Because David walked with God even from a child. When battles came, he was confident in his God. Uh, you know the story. These stories of David, they're Sunday school stories. And sometimes they become so familiar to us that we lose the power of them. We lose the authority of them. We lose the understanding that these people walk through, that God will enable us to walk through if we put our trust in him. When Goliath stood before David, when Goliath stood before the armies of Israel and taunted them and tortured them and defiled the name of their God, they trembled in fear. They trembled in fear. Great warriors, men who had been in many battles, had won great victories, were trembling at the sound of the voice of this one enemy. You know, maybe you're a Christian today and you're a follower of Jesus and, you know, you've had some victories in the past, but there's this one thing in your life that keeps showing up. And it seems to be a big giant. It just seems to be a big obstacle. And you just can't seem to overcome it. I want to tell you today, when you walk with God and you have the confidence that His presence is with you, there's something that rises up in your heart. You see, your destiny is determined by the choice that you make in the heat of the battle. But that choice in the heat of the battle was made long before. It was made long before you got into that circumstance or that situation. It was your choice in the daily walk when you were out taking care of what you were supposed to be doing. David taking care of the sheep, being a shepherd for his father, being a servant, being a son of the house. So when the battle came, David hadn't been out there running around doing all kinds of crazy stuff. David knew his God. When Goliath stood before him, David replied to the Philistine. The Bible says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defiled. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut your head off. (laughs) Well, that's confidence. That's confidence in his God. You're done. This mountain shall be removed. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Put your confidence in God. God's for you today. David knew it because he had the presence of the reality of God himself. God, he knew God. He walked with God. David, in his boldness, was also very honest. He was an honest man. You can't hide from God. I love David's prayers. (laughs) David prays that my heart and my flesh, they may fail. You ever feel that before? You're just facing something. God, I can't go on. I can't keep doing this. But God, you are my strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, you're the strength of my heart. You're my portion forever. You feel. You feel the struggle. You feel the reality of your own weakness and failure. And your heart cries out to God. 
your heart cries out to God. A couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday morning, I talked about my dad. And I left there because of the last couple of times that I've spoken about my father publicly. I didn't feel like I, I left it in an honorable way. And I, I was thinking about this message today, and I was thinking about what my dad imparted to me. My dad would always tell me, son, I, I haven't been the best dad, but I was a better dad than my dad. I said there was a lot of truth to that. When I looked back at my dad's life, my dad had some ups and downs. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a deacon. He was just a guy who would go to church, and he tried to go to church, and sometimes he did, and had periods of his life that he didn't. And, but as a young man, my dad encountered God, and then he drifted far away, like many people do, and then he came back to the Lord. But by the time he came back to the Lord, there was a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt that had happened. But I remember this about my dad. What I remember most, what my dad imparted to me, the, probably the greatest thing that my dad imparted to me is that my dad taught me how to pray. And I don't mean wimpy prayers. My dad knew how to touch God. My dad believed that the veil had been rent. My dad believed that he had divine access to his heavenly father. And I still can remember hearing in my ears the voice of my father when he would stand in the shower and he would cry out to God. He would say, oh, God, save me. Oh, God, rescue me. He believed that there was something that we were able to do in the supernatural when we came in divine contact with our heavenly father. The Bible says that David said, my heart and flesh may fail, but God, you're my portion. Jeremiah said, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things. When you look at the men of the Bible, they didn't pray wussy prayers. They prayed powerful prayers. They called on God. God, save me. God, rescue me. God, deliver me. God, give me victory over my enemy, Jehoshaphat. The armies of Israel came against them. Come on, listen to me today. They weren't that, oh, God, if it be thy will. No, 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 no. Come on. They prayed bold prayers. They had confidence in their God. They came boldly before the throne of grace in their time of need. And what I learned from my dad is that you could have a cry that touches the very heart of God that moved His hand in your reality, in your life. Trust me today. Every man of God in the Bible knows this reality. Every man that you read in Scriptures that moved the hand of God knew what it was to get face to face with their God and cry out to Him. Jacob said, God, I will not let go until you bless me. Come on, getting a hold of God in your life. Getting real about who you are. My dad was always very real about who he was. He was honest about his heart. He was honest about his own weaknesses and sharing his own pain. He was honest with me. And he's honest before God. He knew that he'd fallen short. You've got to be honest. Some, some guys, they get too high of an opinion of themselves, and some people get too low of an opinion of themselves. you just got to get real. You've got to get real before the Lord. And the third thing that I learned from my dad is generosity. My dad never made a lot of money. My dad was so generous. He was so generous. He always tithed. I mean, guys, he didn't make, trust me, he didn't make, there was times it was really thin. But when he got saved, he always tithed. Every time a missionary would come through, he always gave to missions. We would go to a special church service. He'd be the first one to give him the offering. We'd be driving down the road. He'd just get his paycheck. And there'd be a guy standing on the street corner with a sign. My dad would never ask questions and never grill him and ask him why he where he was. But he would just maybe take a five or a ten and he would slip it to the guy. I, my dad was a friend of people. I learned from my dad how to be a friend and accept people the way they were. His generosity and the way he followed up on people. People would, people, my wife sometimes would say, you know, you call this person and that person. And I would say, you know what, this thing isn't about me. I love to, I'm just nosy. I just really love to know what's going on in other people's lives. 
I have all kinds of people. It's a one-way street in my life. I have all kinds of friends that I'm the one that texts. I'm the one that sees how they're doing. I'm the one that checks on their kids and how's their family doing, how's their wife doing. I had a buddy I hadn't talked to in a while the other day, and I just asked him, I said, how's your wife? I said, how's your marriage? <laughs> I hadn't talked to the guy in a year. I said, are you being nice to your wife this week? He's on the phone. He goes, I don't know. Why don't you, why don't you talk to her and ask her? <laughs> he did. He put it right on the phone. He said, oh, yeah, he's being nice this week. There's something about this, a man, a man pouring his life into other people, a man investing himself in other people. If you want to have friends, you've got to be friendly. People come to church, and no one shook my hand. And, now, we're a pretty huggy church, and we're a pretty lovey church, but people slip, still slip through here. They don't get connected. I'm like, listen, if you want to get connected, you've got to introduce yourself to somebody. <laughs> you know, There's something in our hearts that wants to stay back and keep reserved and not realize who we are in Christ. And we're the children of Abraham today. We're the seed of Abraham. And the blessing of God is in us so that we can be a blessing. Not everybody's going to be like me. We all have different personality types, and I get all of that. But let me tell you, you can stretch. You can stretch. You can stretch yourself. You can show yourself friendly to your friends. Our lives today are marked. Our lives are di- today are marked by a walk with God. Our success and our failures in life are determined, are determined by the heart that's bent towards God. So the heart of God, the, the heart of God is that we would walk with Him. And the man that has a relationship that walks with God then also understands that he has a role and responsibility to his family. The man and his family. In Joshua chapter 24, Joshua understood this. And the Bible says after, at the end of Joshua's life, after all the exploits and all the things that God had done through him, he stands before this group of people. He stands before this group of people. He says, listen, guys, choose who you're going to serve today. I I look over the landscape of our church, and if you knew our our whole story, some of you are brand new here, but we came from Seattle, and we started with three couples, and and we started in Metro West, and then we were in Altamont and Longwood, and and I've got to tell you guys, there have been lots of miracles. (laughs) There have been so many miracles, and there have been people that have been along the way, and they've decided somewhere along the path that they were going to take another journey. They were going to go another direction. And I don't mean another, another direction in church. I mean just another direction in life living for themselves. Joshua stood before his people. And he said, listen, guys, would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, men, do you understand your role, your responsibility, that if the Father serves the Lord, if the Father surrenders his life to the Lord, 93% of children will follow God. Listen, I I don't know how to put this, but so many issues, so many identity issues and relational issues that people have with God is because their father image has been broken by their earthly father. But listen, there's no excuse today, but it's a reality. It's a reality today. Joshua made a determination. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do what it takes. One life, one path. The path of the world leads to death. The path of God leads to life. One man, one man's path leads to failure. Another man's path leads to success. So when a man determines that he's going to love God, when he's going to love God, he's going to love his family. He's going to serve his wife. He's going to love his wife. The greatest indicator to me how a man really loves God is how he treats his wife. Paul, the apostle, talking to the church 
at Ephesus says these words. He says, listen, husbands, go all out in your love for your wife. Go all out. And all the women said, amen. (laughs) Exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. That's how you know. Well, how do I know? How do I know how I should love my wife? Well, you know what you do? You sit down with your wife and you ask her. (laughs) Ask your wife. Ask your wife. Now, listen, single ladies out there, you're thinking about a guy. I want you to look and see how he treats his mother. I want you to see what kind of relationship he has with the sisters, the people who are close to them. I want you to look and see how he treats other women. Does he respect them? Does he objectify them? Does he treat them in a way that's honoring to God? Listen, you you can look at some guy's life, ladies, and I want you to know today, if you get hooked up with that person, there's going to be a lot of pain coming to your life. He doesn't honor his mother. He doesn't honor his sisters. He doesn't honor other women in the way that he acts towards them. Here, guys, listen to me today. Hear me today. The way we treat our wife. The way we show love to our wife is a direct reflection of what's in our heart and our relationship to God. It's a life of giving, not getting. It's a life of serving. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of doing the things that you are supposed to do. How does he love his life? How does he love his wife? Is he always irritated? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, there is no one that can make me matter on planet Earth. My wife. (laughs) My beautiful, gorgeous Perfect in every way. (laughs) One of the ways that I know that I'm just tweaked inside is when I'm easily irritated with my spouse. And Paul actually uses that phrase at the Church of Colossae. He says, men, don't be harsh with the wife. All the women are saying, amen. You come home, you're tired, just so easy just to say something short and something, something curt. So easily to get frustrated. That frustration is not the life of faith. And God's working in your life. It's an area of growth. It's an area for me, 27 and a half, almost 28 years, and I'm still growing and walking out, learning how to serve and how to love my wife. I do know my wife's number one love language, and that's acts of service. And so now, you know what they call me in my house now? Uncle Charlie. You know who Uncle Charlie is? There's an old show on television called My Three Sons. Anybody ever see the reruns of that? You've got to be like over 40 to remember that show. But Uncle Charlie, he worked in the kitchen. He wore an apron, did all the dishes, and that's my job. I am the chief dishwasher at the Smith household now. It's an act of service, and actually I really like it. And I like getting the counters really clean. I like getting that bottle of that liquid bleach stuff on the, on the white, you know, the enamel that's in the sink there and getting all the stains out and just make it sparkling. I just, I like doing it. <laughs> Something about it. Like, I conquered that. I got that scratch out of there. <laughs> Twenty-seven and a half years, I finally figured it out. <laughs> provides for his family. He provides for his family. I want to speak to the men on this one. Men, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to work. You also have a responsibility to do your best in your work. You have a responsibility to seek to prosper. There's a bad rap out there. People talk about prosperity. and I always say, what's the alternative to prospering? Failing? I mean, what's the alternative? Not paying your bills? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. God's created men to be problem solvers. You know that little thing in the beginning, it's not about the nail to fix it. Guys are, guys are wired to fix it. And you know what God wants you to do? God wants you to discover what you were created to fix. Because there's a problem that God wants you to fix. Because see, one man's bummer is another man's blessing. The reason you have a job today is because someone else has a problem. 
Someone else has a problem and they are paying you to fix it. There's something, there's a solution. There's something that God's hardwired in you to fix. And therefore, men, men, men of this church, listen to me today. Listen to me today. Be a problem solver. I told Pastor Glenn, I said, problem solvers never lock, lack opportunities. People pay for problem solvers. <laughs> it's not another man's responsibility to take care of you. It's not President Obama's responsibility to take care of you. Now I'm talking about able-bodied men. We've got a man that comes up to our church all the time. He's in a wheelchair. He's a paraplegic. He can barely, sometimes I have to take his finger and, little, and put it on the little button so he can move around. And he is one of the most independent. You'll see him come up here sometimes. He's one of the most independent people. He doesn't want anybody to help him, but we have to. And I'm not talking about a guy like that. I'm talking about a man. I'm talking about a person that's sitting there watching the world go by. No, God's created you to be a problem solver today. You have a responsibility. We provide for our children. It takes courage to step up and to be the man in his work life that God has created you to be. Colossians chapter 3 says it like this. Whatever you do, Put your whole heart and soul into it as, as unto work done for God and not merely for men, knowing that your reward, that your real reward is a heavenly one and will come from God. Your real reward today is a heavenly one. I don't work. I work for the Lord. Now, you know, I'm in a local church, and, but I've got to tell you, this the whole thing about understanding why I was created to work and my purpose all has to do with my attitude. All has to do with my attitude. Yesterday, I Googled a bunch of songs. You know, I just Googled the whole concept of songs about work, and there's just tons of songs, all kinds of famous songs. You know, they've all sung them. Bon Jovi sung them, and, you know, every band in the world, Rolling Stones sung them, and all kinds of songs out there. You know, she works hard for her money, working from 9 to 5, take this job, and, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are all, there's all these songs out there that talk working for the man, you know. One guy, Sam Cook, sang working on a on a on a slave on a, a train on a what is it called? Working on a chain gang on you know work, and they make like they make it sound like working on a chain gang is fun. By the time you finish, like, I don't know about that, you know. <laughs> All these songs. What ha- what's happened to people is they really miss their understanding of why they're created. In the beginning, God put us in the garden. He told them to work and to tend it, to tend it, to be productive. And there is no sense of satisfaction in a man's life that when he does a job well, when he works with all of his heart, when he really puts his heart and his mind to something. God's created you today for significance. God's created the purpose of work for you to glorify him. Martin Luther, I love what he said about work. Martin Luther said, said this, the purpose of every job was to serve and to show love to their neighbor. God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Because when we work, we have an opportunity to, one, reflect God's glory and his love in us by serving other people. And the way that we serve other people, like serving our spouse, but the way that we serve others is a direct reflection. It's a direct reflection of our love for God. You know, this really comes down to attitude. Paul said, don't complain about anything. Don't criticize. I love this verse. Don't do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean and innocent lives as children of your success in life will be determined by your attitude. Your success in the workplace will be determined by your attitude. If you go with a mentality, you're just working for the man, and you're, you know, you're trying to figure out when you get paid, and, all, and it's all good, and I get all that. But let me tell you, man, so many people have a wrong perspective about work, and they're working for the man, and they're not working for God. 
and they get to work and they got stinky attitudes. Pastor Glenn will say it like this. Are you a joy to work with? Other people that work with you, do they like working with you? If other people don't like working with you, it's not their problem. It's your problem. I lived for a period of my life like this as a young man when I wasn't a follower of Jesus. I had a bad attitude about work. I would work really hard. I could outwork anybody. I mean, I would work my tail off. I would just work really, really hard. But I had a stinky attitude. Sometimes I'd be happy, but sometimes I'm kind of one of those up and down kind of guys. And, and I was always looking for the problem. You know, they weren't paying me enough. And it wasn't, you know, it was my boss's fault. They were keeping me down. I wasn't getting a promotion. And that was kind of my mindset. And, and uh, something happened to me. I surrendered my life to Christ. I gave my life to Jesus. And the moment I surrendered to God, I surrendered my heart to him, my heart changed. And I began to see work differently. I began to see work as a place that I could demonstrate the love of God, a place that I could be a witness where it wasn't about me, a place where I could begin to to really grow and serve other people and love other people. And i got to tell you guys, I went from feeling beat down and, and, and always feeling like somebody was against me to literally within a very short period of time, I was getting promotions. I was getting raises. All of a sudden, they wanted to, to make me, you know, and manage. I mean, it happened that quickly. You know what happened? The only thing that happened is that I changed. The people around me never changed. They were still doing the same things. They were still saying the same kinds of things, but my heart changed. And when your heart changes with your attitude towards work, things in your life will change because the heart of God is for you to succeed. David prayed this prayer. May the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Prosper us for all the work that we do. Yes, prosper the work that we do. We make it our aim in life to glorify God through our work. The word is actually workmanship. The way that we worship God is through the work that we do with our hands. But the battle is real. The man and his temptation is real. Paul the Apostle said there's no temptation that comes into your life that is different from what others experience. Every person in this room is tempted. Every person in this room is tempted, but God is faithful, and He will not allow you, allow the temptation to be more than you can bear. I thought about this. What is the number one temptation? What is the greatest temptation that you experience in your life? What is it? I mean, you're sitting there right now, and, and I asked that question. What's the greatest temptation you have in your life? You could come up with all kinds of that. Well, sexual sin or trusting God for provision, whatever, whatever the issue is in your life. And I've really kind of boiled it down in my mind and my heart to this. It's one word. It's laziness. It's laziness. Lazy in our spiritual walk. I mean, we get lazy in our, our things about the kingdom of God. We get lazy about spending time with the Lord in the Bible. We get lazy about our church attendance. We get lazy about fellowshipping with other Christians and believers. That's why Paul told them, he, he said, listen, guys, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Get together so that you can encourage another, each other in this wicked generation. You, you just get lazy about the things that really do matter. You get lazy about the, the, spiritual, the spiritual barometer of your heart and your life. You leave your first love. You know, you get saved and it's so glorious and I don't know about you, but this is my greatest challenge to keep the spiritual dimension of my life alive. I tell people all the time, it's way easier to preach a thousand sermons than it is to live one. It's way easier to tell other people what to do than to actually walk this out in your own life. Keeping that passion and that fire for the Lord. Laziness, just stuff of life in the world. Jesus said the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches come and they choke out God's word. 
laziness in matters regarding your success and stewardship. Lazy in your job. Lazy in the way you manage your money. Just thinking it's never going to end. Not taking personal responsibility. We're doing Financial Peace University on Wednesday nights right now, and I was sitting in that class, and I was thinking how easy it is in my life for things just to slip. Start to just to live beyond what really my income is. It's such a challenge. Such a challenge. We get lazy. We get lazy in matters of self-control, what we eat, how we take care of our physical body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We get lazy. Just think it's, you know, payday someday down the road. But it's always a payday. We get lazy in areas of sexuality. It gets so easy. Statistically, they tell us that 60% of the men in the church struggle with pornography. 60%. Get lazy. It isn't just the men in our culture today. It's the women in our culture as well. We get lazy in the things that we say at work and the way that we look. We get lazy in these areas of sexual promiscuity. Paul the Apostle said, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Sexual sin just run rampant. Run rampant in our life. Because we get lazy about the things that matter most. Get lazy. Get lazy in that spiritual walk with God. God told Abraham, walk before me blameless, and I'll make you a kingdom of people. I'll bless you. I will bless you. God wants to bless. God wants to pour out His Spirit. In order for us to stay engaged today, in order for us to stay in the battle today, we've got to conquer these things. Two battles that everyone faces in this room. The first one is self. I mean, the devil doesn't make you do anything, but the devil will tempt you. Conquering self and our own desires, the surrendering of our heart to the Lord, then obviously conquering our evil one. The Bible says the tempter of the, the deceivers, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And how do you do that today? How do you conquer the evil one today? How do you conquer self today? You know how you do it? You get a right perspective of who you are in God. You get a right perspective of who God is in your life. It's the God solution. The only way that you could be victorious over laziness in your life is by God's power and His grace. Paul said it like this, you're a new creation. The old life is gone and now you have a new life. you got a new life today. you got a new life in God. You're free from the power of sin because you belong to Him. The power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You're more than a conqueror today. You're not a victim today. You're a victor. You're created in the image of God to be victorious. You're an overcomer. Come on. God's Spirit is in you. Getting a correct perspective of who God is in our life. And you have the power of Christ's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The power of God's grace is alive and working in you. You can even hear the, the words of this writer as he was penning them. He's writing to the church at Corinth and he's moving towards the end of his life and he's talking about his relationship with God. He's talking about his walk with God. And he says, I had this thorn in the flesh. I had something that just came. It, it just wouldn't let go. Scholars try to define it as some kind of sickness or I don't know what it was. But I know that there was something in his life that seemed to kind of want to keep pulling him back. Keep distracting him. Keep causing him to detour from the path that God had for him. But you hear these, you hear these words of Paul. He, 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 he said, God, take it from me. God, take it from me. God, take it from me. 
God simply speaks to him. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. The grace of God is sufficient for you today. The grace of God's power and spirit is sufficient for you to live the life that Christ has called us to live today. So what's at stake? What's at stake? We choose to walk out of here and reject the word of God. We choose to walk out of here and continue to be lazy about things that matter most in our life. We choose to walk out of here and keep living like the cowardly lion that's searching and seeking and everything but God. What's at stake? I want you to hear what's at stake. Nehemiah saw this when he saw the destiny of his generation. Here's what's at stake. Nehemiah said, after I looked over these things, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Listen today. Fight. Stand up and fight. Men, listen to me today. What's at stake today? Your family's at stake today. Come on. Your family's at stake today. Your marriage is at stake today. Your success in business is at stake today. Your children's lives are at stake today. And their spiritual reality with God. What? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is today. And God's calling us to to, to a yes in Him today. Yes, we are going to fight for our families. Yes, we're going to fight for our children. Yes, we're going to fight for future generations. Yes, we are going to fight the battle that God has called us. Because His grace is sufficient for us. Come on, stand with me this morning. Stand with me this morning. Yes. Yes to God's purpose in your generation. Yes. Can I get a yes today? Can I get a yes today? Can I get a yes today? The Spirit of God is working in the hearts. The Spirit of God is working in our hearts today. Man, what is God saying to you? Man, what is God saying to you? God loves you today. God loves your family today. God wants to do good for you today. God before you can be against you. Thank you, Jesus. Do you really mean that today? Do you really mean yes to God today? You're in this room this morning and you don't know Christ. Your first step is to surrender to the Lord. It's your first step in this relationship. First step of living a life of courage. A life that God's created you today. Say yes to Him. You're in this room right now this morning. You've never said yes to God. I'm talking to you, sir. You're a woman in this room. You've never said yes to God. I'm speaking to you too. I'm talking to the man this morning. God's calling you to himself. God wants to give you a heart of courage. If you're here today and you've never made your life, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, when I count to three, can 